This is Rewired Radio with Erica Spiegelman, addiction and wellness specialist, motivational speaker, and author, helping individuals, couples, and families regain a sense of control, leading to personal growth, wellness, and a more fulfilling life. Here's Erica Spiegelman. Welcome, everyone. We have such a great show today for you guys. Um, Have you ever wondered, because I have, why we believe drinking a powerful poison is both normal and pleasurable? It took my next guest 35 years to ask himself that question. And once he found the answer, he learned to quit smoking, alcohol, gambling, and pornography, as well as quitting his job, creating a new one, going through a terrible divorce, losing everything he owned, including the right to father his son, and having to learn to piece it all back together again. Lee Davy is our guest, and he's the host of the Alcohol and Addiction podcast, the founder of the Needy Helper and Needy Helper Hub, and the author of the Needy Helper 2015 Diary Excerpts, A Life After Quitting Alcohol. Lee, Lee Davies, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on. There's so much to talk about with you. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege. Thank you for um, asking me to come on, Erica. I'm really grateful. Thank you. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I was just talking about this yesterday with somebody. I was watching on TV a show they have here on Viceland, which is a cable network called, it's called Beer Life or Beer Something. And it's all about people brewing beers. And I just, it dawned on me of like, I cannot believe this poison is, you know, such a powerful thing in people's lives where now we have TV shows. You know, I mean, I know this day and age has changed so much with all these cable networks, but, but what is it about alcohol that, that creates this kind of normality for people and also, you know, you know, it starts to run our lives. It's a it's a really great question because every time people come to me and they say to me, Lee, how did you manage to quit alcohol? And, and more importantly, how do you manage to stay quit? Right? How do you manage to stay sober? Right? Yeah. And I always say to the people, the key question is why. When mm-hmm. when I was really struggling and I knew alcohol was ripping my marriage apart, I had to sit back and say to myself, why am I drinking? And I would say to myself, well, because I enjoy the taste. And then I would go a bit deeper and I would experiment. And I realized that I didn't like the taste. And then I would say to myself, well, it improves my social experiences when I go out. And then I would experiment and I would realize that actually drinking alcohol worsens my social experiences. (laughs) So I I did the same process through every kind of um, perceivable value that I felt alcohol gave me. And I ended up with nothing, Erica. I, I All of a sudden, I realized at 35 years of age that everything I thought I valued about alcohol was an illusion. So I dug a little bit deeper and said to myself, why then? Why are you drinking? And what I revealed was quite startling to me. It was, I, I, reve- I, I kind of understood that I'd been raised to drink alcohol from birth. It, mm-hmm. it was, I believe that the word alcoholism it's not a brain disease. I don't believe that it's a, a psychological malady. I believe mm-hmm. alcoholism is a hidden ideology, a very violent and dominant um, belief system that we can't even see it. It's invisible. Nobody knows it even exists, right? And that is mm-hmm. why we are able to think that it's normal to drink alcohol and that it's pleasurable to drink alcohol. So what I do in my work, Erica, is is I... I I kind of spread the word and, and, and show people and reveal the truth behind this hidden ideology. And then I raise awareness. And then once I've done that, people can have a choice, right? People can then say to themselves, okay, I get it now, right? 
I'm yeah. now going to choose. I'm now going to choose whether I want to drink or not because I don't know about you, Erica. I never remember sitting down in my teenage years thinking to myself, "I wonder whether I will drink or not." It just right. happened because it's as normal as drinking water, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I love that you say it's a choice and a belief system. I, I'm on. I'm on your line of thinking where I, I hate calling it a disease. I, you know, even if there's some evidence around this, it's still for me. I think more belief system as well. And it's so deeply embedded. You know, my father. You know, my father's a drinker. And and since mm. I was a little girl, I have a picture of me with a Heineken. It, I was four years old in Lake Tahoe, which is this beautiful lake in California, holding a Heineken on the lake, pretending to be him. It wasn't opened, and and he used to smoke merit cigarettes. I have a cigarette and a beer in my hand at four, which was like a flash forward to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, what happened. But I mean, it just goes to show you, like you said, that these are the narratives that somehow got planted into our lives and our minds and our, our, our psyches at such a young age. Well, let's just think about this, right? Santa Claus. I, I don't know about you, Erica, but um, when I was a kid, Santa Claus and Christmas was everything, right? And mm -hmm. we would get ready on Christmas Eve was the greatest day on earth, right? And how would we get ready for it? We would leave Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer some walnuts, okay, and some bread. And we would leave Santa Claus a beer. Really? Right? Yeah, wow. that's what we do in the UK. We leave Santa Claus a beer, right? Um, wow, that's crazy, yeah. Religion, Jesus Christ, uh, um, turning water into wine. It, it, it's, it's like it's built into all of our religions, our financial mm -hmm. systems, our governments, mm -hmm. our marketing. And um, we don't even realize that it's happening. That That is the... The worst thing and the, the reason that it stays invisible is because there's such a strong um, pull of a denial system, um, a justification system and cognitive bias within everybody that it's really difficult for people to see it. And here is a great example, Erica. OK, mm -hmm. recently Heineken, the beer company, released mm -hmm. a new advert called Worlds Apart, right? It's on YouTube at the moment. It's had over 9 million hits the last time I looked at it. It's gone absolutely viral. And mm -hmm. what they've done is they've touched upon um, really contentious issues in the world like transgender, race, sexism, um, inequality, basically. And they filmed this beer advert of these opposing forces like someone who, who hates transgenders and somebody who is a transgender. And they don't know each other, right? And mm -hmm. they're, they're asked to work together on this advert. And at the end of the advert, they show a, a movie to show each other who they really are. And, and by this time, they've gotten on really well. And then the uh, advert turns around and says to him, now you can leave each other. Now you know that this person hates transgender and you are a transgender. You can now leave or you can go to the bar and have a beer. And oh, every wow. single one of them chooses the beer, right? Now, I read mm. through the comments those nine million hits, right? Not all of them, obviously. You wouldn't believe how many people said, I don't even drink beer, but I'm going to drink beer after this, watching this video, right? Wow. And uh -huh. that's the ultimate in why this belief system is just so dominant in the world, where a an alcohol company can prey on people's raw emotions and, and turn them at the end of the day, get them to like be a statistic where they're part of the 2.5 million people who die of alcoholism a year. I, I, I just look at the, the advert and I think it's evil. I got my family sharing it. I got my friends sharing it and they think it's fantastic. They don't connect the deaths and the devastation with alcoholism. It's quite incredible.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's and and what's even more incredible from all this is is that they're targeting populations that really do use drugs and alcohol to distract themselves. I mean, everybody does. It does not even a certain population. But I mean, yeah. right now in the United States, we have this. You know, and I'm sure it's going on in England too. I'd love to to hear actually about it if if you uh, have been seeing this more and more. But this opiate epidemic, we have. Uh, you know, I mean, it just it came out yesterday. Um, it was in the Washington Post. It was, uh, you know, that uh, op- opioid overdoses went up three times this year. Um, there's there's just been, you know, an incredible amount of devastation and loss around that. I, all my clients, uh, you know, I, I have a treatment center that um, that is an outpatient center and all my clients are, you know, in their tw- 20s, some 30s, you know, but but all uh, long-term heroin users, even, you know, when I say long-term, mm. even though they're in their 20s, they started at 13. And I mean, these are people that, that have tried and tried and tried. And it's just the system is, again, providing so it's so easily available. Um, and, you know, I just had someone yesterday that came in and I said, he was from a different state. And I said, well, how did you find this? He said, he just relapsed. And that's how he came to our center. And he said, I found it on Craigslist, which is, you know, for, for usually mm. furniture and apartments. And, you know, there's, there's secret, you know, code words. He was looking for black tar roofing. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, so with social media, I mean, I don't know, it's, 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 there's just something else happening in this country for sure. I think the opioid uh, epidemic in, in, in the USA is a really good example again uh, of a culture, right? So mm-hmm. in the UK, in the UK, we don't have that problem. And the reason we don't have that problem is t- two reasons. One, we have the national health service. So um, people aren't trying to ram drugs down our throats, right? Because the mm-hmm. you know the government has to pay for them. We don't have to pay for them, right? It's not like right. there's a private sector saying to you every time mm-hmm. you go take these drugs, take these drugs. The other thing I in see. the UK, you would have heard of the stiff upper lip, right? You know, mm-hmm. if, if someone's depressed or anxious or down in the dumps, in the UK we just say get on with it. Like right. you know, right. stop moping about and get on with it. We, <laughs> we don't take don't take drugs. To fix ourselves, it's it's no. Don't get me. Some people will. I'm well, talking alcohol. about alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about an overall culture of, of opioids. It won't really. It doesn't really. It's not as bad in the UK as it is in in America because it's just not that prevalent. And it's not part of our culture. Um, but mm-hmm. but going back to the alcohol thing, the reason why it was so important for me to discover um, this hidden belief system, which is mm-hmm. alcoholism, is because. I was. I look around me and I see so many people quitting alcohol via white knuckling it. What I call white knuckling it, right? right. So they. Can you explain they, to the audience what that is, just in case they, they yeah, don't. Yeah. So don't all right. Know. So a good example is uh, anyone going through twelve step. So someone goes to a twelve step meeting, and uh, the culture of the twelve step meeting will be that you're an alcoholic for life. Um, you're powerless. This alcohol has is always going to have this voodoo over you, um, mm-hmm. and you're only just one drink away from absolute devastation, right? So mm-hmm. you've you've now got to live like that for the rest of your life. That 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 is ingrained into your psyche. So every time you go to the bar, every time you're a little bit down, you're gonna get triggered all the time. And how you deal with that trigger is you're going to try to use your willpower. You're gonna white knuckle through it. You're just gonna say, I, I don't wanna drink, I can't drink, I can't drink. And you'll try to meditate, you'll try journaling, you'll ring your sponsor, but deep down you wanna drink, right? 
Now, mm -hmm. the difference with understanding that this, uh, that alcohol is an invisible, dominant, violent belief system, and I use the word violent because it kills 2.5 million people a year, which is far more than murders and war, by the way, right? So wow. when we, once we can expose this and understand this and peel it back and realize that we've been brainwashed, and then with the help of people like the Needy Helper, re kind of brainwash ourselves, what happens is we don't have a desire to drink anymore because we suddenly realize that there's no value in it. And when you don't have any desire, you don't have any cravings. So since I quit drinking seven years ago, I have never had a craving to drink alcohol. And similarly, I used a very similar thought process when I quit smoking, Erica, and that's 16 years ago. And I have never craved cigarettes. Now, why is this important? If you Google today what the top five most addictive drugs are in the world, in that top five will be nicotine and alcohol. Mm -hmm. how, is it, how is it possible if they are the most addictive substances in the world, how is it possible for me to just turn around one day and go, boom, I got it? Mm -hmm. And then how? not have a craving. <laughs> yeah. Right? It, 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 it's because it's because you need to understand what is going on. You need to ask why. You need to dig in. You need to really understand and expose alcoholism for what it does. And once you do that with a little bit of help, once you do that with a little bit of help, you remove the desire straight away. You just get it. Some like a light comes on. And it's like I cannot put this poison in. It doesn't make sense for me to drink anymore. Like mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's just no sense. Well, I like that you said it has no value, which, which, uh, you know, I, re I absolutely relate to. I don't think about alcohol anymore like that either, ever. And it's been coming up on 10 years, you know, for me. And I just, and I just, you know, it's, it, it, again, it's a lot of internal work uh, that, that I went through and also seeing, like you said before, asking yourself these questions and seeing how it really didn't add any value to your life back then. So for no. some people that doesn't matter because of the trauma that they've experienced, they, you know, they, it, it takes them, I think, a little bit longer everybody you know has a different uh, a different background and history and we're wired differently so what resonates in your life and what resonated for you to, to understand your alcoholism or or your experience with addiction um, is going to be different for someone else too it's just a matter mm. I think of all of us right doing doing the individualized work and, and it's going to be different for everybody at least in my sobriety I didn't get sober a traditional way I got sober my way yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you've, you've got, you've got. I mean, it's a great word, right? You've got to be ready, right? So yes, yeah. You know the, you know the score, Erica. You can, you can pick up a book. It doesn't matter what it is. Let's just pick up. Let's pick on Eckhart Tolle, right? We can pick up an Eckhart Tolle book, The Power of Now, and we can, mm -hmm. I can read it, and I can, and it could, it's like it's written in Swahili, right? I don't even understand right. it. I you know. could Most read, people. you could read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could read it, and you could be like, wow, I get it totally, because you're in a different space in your life. So. Being right. ready, ready is really important, okay? Mm -hmm. The other thing to think about is we are so addicted to our stories, right? Mm -hmm. Don't want to let them go. I, I was talking to somebody who, who works in the sobriety industry the other day. They, they were a guest on my podcast. And um, this person suffers from a lot of trauma in the past um, and suffers from uh, social anxiety and a lot of different issues. And I, and I was talking about the great work that I'd been doing with David Burns, the author of Feeling Good, a cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapist, and, and how he managed to just help people get over their issues very quickly, like in one or two sessions, Erica. And as I was telling uh, this person this, 
the resistance just bolted out straight away. It was like, it will never work on me. And, mm-hmm. and, and we had a good chat about it. It's like, no, it won't work on you because you don't want it to work on you. That, that's mm-hmm. the resistance. There's mm-hmm. no way, there's no way that your mind, body, and soul will admit that this that anyone can help you get over your fears in a session when you have struggled for 30 years. You're, you will not allow yourself to do that. It's impossible. You have to you have to stick with that story. It cannot be because you'll look back and think, what have I done for 30 years? We've got to let go of these stories, Erica. We've got to just be humble about it. We just got to just put our hand up and just say, do you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've got... Like, I don't have to be worrying about the past because it don't exist. And I don't have to be worrying about the future because it don't exist. Let's just focus on what's happening right now. And this mm-hmm. this is really important because of, like, traumatic events. Like, you know, a lot of people drink alcohol because they've had horrific trauma in their lives, Erica, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people like that. But but that trauma, that the, the event... It, it, it doesn't exist anymore. It's only existing because we are giving it power by continually mm-hmm. feeding it through our stories and our thought processes, which then channel into our feelings, which then channel into, I think I will have a bottle of red wine tonight. So I think in order to fight this, uh, so many different angles. For me, you're right. Everybody's individual, but the starting point is always the same. The starting point is understanding what alcoholism really is. Ism is an ideology. Sexism, racism, nationalism. It's not an accident that alcoholism has an ism at the end of it. It isn't mm-hmm. an accident. Wikipedia might not be calling it an ideology, but it, it really is. You know, it's uh, it's a very powerful one, and uh, it really helps to see it for what it is. Absolutely. And and I love that you say that. It, it, it really is. It has to be that person's choice. And I always say this, you know, when I hear clients say, well, I can't drink, so I'm going to do this. Or I, I said, you know what, stop using these words because words are very powerful and it's your choice. You're choosing not to drink, you know. And when mm-hmm. people confront you about this, have the courage to be proud of yourself and present that energy versus the energy of I can't and, you know, I shouldn't. And, you know, it, you know it's, it's the energy and it, it's your attitude towards it and all these things really create those little differences that create sustainable recovery and recovery where you're relapsing for years and years and years. So mm, th- yeah. there's, there's so many, I think, little little secrets and tools and tips that, you know, providers and, and counselors and um, coaches can help people with. Uh, w- words are really important. I, I never used to think this. I, I, I'm, I'm the type of guy who swears a lot, right? I, I curse a lot. Yeah. It, was the way that I, it was the way that was brought up. It, every second word's got an F word in it. And and my wife said to me one day, she said, you're, you're a writer, Lee. Why aren't you, why don't you understand the power of words, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it was really my wife who's educated me on so many different different ways that got me to, to see the power of words. And when I work with my clients now, it's one of the first things that I jump on very early is the, the, the tone that they use with themselves verbally, the way that they beat themselves up. And, and mm-hmm. particularly on my forum, the way that people check in uh, and, and the way that people celebrate their day. Uh, and, and you can see them beating themselves up, you know, or I'm always this or I always do that and I should have done this and I should have done that. And it is, it is, it's just that tweak, Erica, isn't it? It's just that change in emphasis on a few words. And 
And if you're listening to this and you think to yourself, what? Uh, well, that's just, that sounds quite simple. It isn't simple. It just, it, it, it's really complicated. It takes a long time yeah, because you mm-hmm. need to be patient because let's face it, by the time we turn around to try to change these things, we're probably 30, 40, 50, 60 years of age. We've been talking this way, you know, subconsciously, habitually for so many years. But I always say this, Erica, right? If you want to give up drinking alcohol, seriously, want to give up drinking alcohol, don't read alcohol books, read communication books. Like, learn how to communicate, learn how to talk to your wife, learn how to talk to your husband, to talk to your kids, to interact within the world. And if you read in these communication books, you will learn the power of words more. You'll, you'll learn how they really do shape our own internal persona of who we are. You know, I think it's super powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk just a little bit about your journey, if you don't mind. You, you know, can you, can you tell us a little bit about how you have, uh, obviously you lead people out of the darkness. You sound like you have, have dedicated your, your heart, your, your life to this. Can you tell me how this all unfolded? Yeah, sure. I, like, like I alluded to earlier on, uh, I, I was raised uh, in a culture of drinkers. So um, everyone around me that I knew drunk, uh, parents, families, friends, relatives, whatever. So from a very young age, as I grew up, I, I was just, I couldn't wait to drink because it was the, one of the adult things I wanted to do. I, I wanted to have sex. I wanted to drive a car. I, I, I wanted to drink and I wanted to take drugs, right? That's mm-hmm. what I wanted like to do. Like every kid. Yeah, because yeah. I wanted to be cool. Like I, that, that was all about being cool for me. I, I was, mm-hmm. I was. I believe that everybody in this world thinks that they don't fit in. I Everybody. Some people deal with it differently, but everybody gets that feeling, right? I had mm. that feeling, and, and, and I the way that I fitted in was to try to be the cool kid, right? So I drink in from 14 years of age. Then, mm. you know, I, I get married, uh, fall in love, get married, have a kid, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think what happened was... Once you have a kid, it's difficult to go out and get drunk, right? Because you've, you've got this child you've got to look after. And what, what tended to happen is I used to drink more at home. Uh, and my mm-hmm. wife used to drink more at home. We'd have parties at home. And when you drink at home as opposed to going out, the, the volume that you drink is greatly exaggerated, right? So mm-hmm. it just got to the point where I was drinking every day. Um, and my relationship with my wife was falling apart at the seams. And... When I kind of looked at what was going on, we were drunk every time we were fighting. So mm-hmm. I asked her to give up drinking. She said no. So I said that I was going to give up drinking. And like I said to you, when I was sick, when, when my boy was born 16 years ago, I gave up smoking, reading Alan Carr's Easy Way to Control, uh, Easy Way to Quit Smoking. So when I wanted to quit drinking, I picked up his book, The Easy Way to Control Alcohol. And before mm-hmm. I'd even before I'd even finished it, I knew I'd I knew I would I'd quit. I I I understood the belief system and I got it and I knew I was going to quit. So I quit uh, to save my marriage, uh, and then she divorced me. So that didn't work out. But mm-hmm. it was a really challenging time because I had to leave. I gave all my uh, belongings away to a friend. I moved in with my mother uh, and my father. I I was seeing my son every two weeks, which was devastating for me, and. Once you've decided not to put a powerful poison into your body, it's really difficult, I believe, anyway, to put other powerful poisons into your body because you're not living in coherence with your new value system. So I don't know. I just realized that I was addicted to sugar. Quit that. I had a huge gambling addict uh, addiction. I quit that. Um, when I eventually fell in love again, 
um, I suffered from tremendous sexual dysfunction. I don't know what the hell was going on. But if you think about it, if you've been with someone for 20 years, Erica, you know, and then you're with somebody else, just even being naked is like a big deal. Um, right. But but I realized I had a, a, a real bad uh, addiction to pornography. So I quit that. I quit sugar. I quit um, processed food. I, I went vegan and uh, created the Needy Helper movement. And um, now people come to me um, to help them quit alcohol. I've, I've got people uh, on the forum who have got um, issues, emotional eating issues, anything really. I, I really do believe that um, a lot of the principles behind this um, ideology and this belief system of alcoholism can easily translate to other areas. And, and as you know, we've got the Alcohol Addiction Podcast where we, we try to um, get a lot of people on there different variety of people experts and also people who are going through it in the trenches you know uh, to mm -hmm. inspire people so yeah that's where we are at the moment you know when you're you're saying that you you had the awareness to um to to do all these you know to make all these other changes even after the alcohol um i, I just i'm curious to talk to you in the next segment a little bit about um how how you have worked on yourself to the point where you've called yourself out. You didn't allow these cross addictions to start. Well, maybe they did take over your life a little bit, but to have that insight, which is so powerful and to call you, you know, a lot of people I find disappear into other yeah. um, addictions or into other dependencies, if you will. So I, I yeah. would love to talk to you a little bit more about that. Um, and, uh, you know, we can, we can, obviously we're going to talk about your book and everything else. So Lee Davey, thank you for being with me for this segment. No. Yeah, you're listening to Rewired Radio on Radio MD. I'm Erica Spiegelman. Thank you all for joining us and stay well. <laughs> 